You're listening in to a very important episode. November 20th, this episode's date of release is Transgender Day of Remembrance. The day is an annual observance to remember the lives of trans and gender diverse people who have died in the name of anti-transgender violence. We'll be discussing the most stark health inequity that impacts the transgender community, mortality. My growing understanding of the unjust deaths of trans and gender diverse or TGD individuals starts with my previous job. As a fellow at the National Institutes of Health, I conducted work investigating the deaths of TGD people with several colleagues. Our findings were solemn. We not only found an increased risk of mortality for some of the analyzed groups, but we saw an increased risk of mortality from external causes, such as homicide and suicide. A year later, before taking a personal trip to Mexico City, Mexico, I searched the internet to prepare myself for the possible dangers and risks of where I was traveling. By chance, I found the website tdortdor.translivesmatter.info that listed several news links reporting that a trans person had been found dead. In Chicago, I saw that 45 minutes from me, another individual of transgender background had been reported killed. Finding this information out disheartened me. How could I feel comfortable traveling to a foreign country where I may be met with violence? Moreover, why are these people dying in mysterious, alarming circumstances? What are governments, media, and the community doing to speak about these issues and protect these people? Today, I'm speaking with Anna Jane Metcalf, the creator of that website, tdor.translivesmatter.info, because you, listening in, also might be curious about what's going on in your community or in a place where you're traveling regarding the deaths of trans people. Maybe that person you're worried about is yourself or a loved one. You'll be interested to hear my conversation with Anna as we discuss her background in starting this website, what features of the site that people can find useful, and how the anti-trans violence across the globe stands as an LGBTQ plus health disparity. Welcome to the Aquarity Podcast. I'm so excited to speak to our guest today, Anna Jane Metcalf. The date of release for this episode will coincide with Transgender Day of Remembrance, November 20th, to remember the lives of trans and gender diverse people who we have lost. The yearly observation was originally started in 1999 by Gwendolyn Ann Smith in response to the murder of Rita Hester, a black trans woman who died in 1998. Gwendolyn and other individuals realized the importance early on of bringing attention to the deaths of trans people who've been murdered and or experienced violence. So what do you like to do when this day comes around, Anna, and what thoughts come to mind for you? Um, it's not so much what I like to do, it's what I feel that I should do. And um, so my thoughts tend to be orient more uh, an awareness of my own responsibility, I guess, to do what I can do, what little, and little though that might be. Um, to shine a light on on what has what what is happening, what has happened, and to honour the lives of the people we've lost. They are. I mean, I, I've been looking at. I've I've been aware of Tidor since two thousand two. Um, uh, when the uh, since the murder of Gwena Rujo. 
in October because that that kind of that that at that time I was just preparing for my own transition and it kind of suddenly made it obvious to me just how vulnerable I was uh, but I was still a lot less vulnerable than she was and it so it kind of brought into focus not only that vulnerability but also the privilege that is unevenly distributed throughout our community and yet which I'm you know I'm I'm relatively privileged and I, I, I acknowledge that um, I feel humbled by that I sometimes feel guilty of, by that um, but at the same time um, when I go out into the rest of the world and I talk to my cisgender friends they have unless somebody's talked to them before about it they have no idea they don't have any of those worries any of those fears and yet you know that same the same things that happen around the same things that contributed to the, the loss of so many lives in our community um, are also um, taking the lives of so many cisgender women as well it's the same sort of things but the privilege is kind of it's complicated I guess is what I'm going to say so I guess I feel humbled I feel awed I feel sad I feel angry and I feel driven yeah a lot of emotions there and I resonate with a couple of them I think it does feel particularly odd that we had to have one day for this when it happens throughout the year and quite frankly it's a issue that we should be talking about throughout the year but because we have to bring attention to the and awareness to the issue um i definitely hear you on that so thank you for speaking on how you acknowledge it you know it's about what you feel like you should do i heard you when you said that as well um so i appreciate that when we're talking about the deaths of transgender people we're talking about um possible homicides um possible suicides and speak on the first part when a trans person dies by homicide one of the most unfortunate circumstances to occur it's a loss for their loved ones and people who cared for them as well and people want to know why these killings are happening and what reasons lie behind them some of our listeners might not be familiar with some of the targeted discrimination that goes against these people who might die by homicide so would you be able to sum up from your point of view why are trans people being targeted in this incredibly unjust way? I think it well it, it varies around the world, but there are common there are a lot of common threads. So it's um, I think it's fairly un uncontroversial to say that by and large the uh, places like Western Europe are a lot safer than, for example various countries in Latin America but the same factors come into play uh, so if you're um, if you are unable to get a job because of employment discrimination um, if you've been disowned and cut out, cut off by your family you're a young person for example um, if you end up on the street you are more at risk because your life is inherently taking place in a more risky environment if you also happen to and that's compounded if you also happen to live in an environment um, 
where violence, gangs, drugs, or guns are a factor, a significant factor, um, that that adds that adds to it. So the reasons the, the reasons that trans people are killed around the world vary. Some a lot of I see a lot in in various case reports. I see a lot of of, of partner violence which is something you you see a lot in among cisgender women in particular as well um i see a lot relating to gangs and street violence i see a lot relating uh and that intersects with things with um people working in risky um situation risky um industries like working doing sex work um particularly when it's um you know in a, if you're if you're in an environment where there is a lot of violence and you're doing sex work on the street at night with random guys, you are really you are at risk. Um, you see some places where the state is involved, although usually um, reporting from places where the state-sponsored violence, direct state-sponsored violence, is very very patchy. If you go back into the history of Various countries of Latin, in Latin America, um, for example, like uh, Bolivia or Peru, spring to mind. There's not much documented documentation on what actually happened to who and when, you know, um, because the amount of horror that was in, in that environment across the whole of that society was so great that um, that um, it didn't get written down everybody was trying to survive and you see that you'll see that um, in places like uh, the Middle East for example you see that in parts of Africa you'll see that in Russia where the communities are just keeping their heads down so when something happens it won't necessarily um, be it won't be reported by them the mainstream media will erase it or if it does get reported they'll use it dead name misgender othering you know indulging othering and all of all of those horrible things that the media sometimes does um so you don't get that much the point is you don't get that much information in those places if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and you intersect with the wrong people in the wrong circumstances not through any of your own fault you are at risk and people will always pick on you i'm i'm quite lucky in that i'm you know i i have i have a job I, I have a secure place to live, um, so I don't encounter most of that 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 stuff most of the time. The most I'll get is a few catcalls on the street usually, um, but it's still there, and we still have, unfortunately, trans people being killed in this country. We still have suicides. It's mostly suicides here, to be fair. We don't have a great deal of direct violence on the streets, but it, but it is a factor. I mean, if you, um, we had a young trans girl called Brianna Gee killed here in February um, in a park, and that that crime was horrific, and a reminder that even so-called civilized countries are not safe. There's a lot that we could unpack there. One thing that that really struck me was, you know. Some of the reasons, from my understanding, are based in, in based in institutional thinking like transphobia, like uh, prejudice against 
um, people who are viewed as other, you know, and then that turns into discrimination. But it's not that some of, you know, our trans brothers and sisters are ending up in these places because they really want to be. Sometimes it's because they have to survive. And that's another thing we'll find, you know, if you do, sur- if you look at survey data, if you look at some of the reports that have been published, you, we will find on average trans people are not being h- hired as much compared to their cisgender counterparts, or we're not um, making as much money. Um, and again, like you might find this as well when it comes to sexism affecting just women versus men parity differences. And so because of that, some of these individuals might end up working in situations that um, allow them to survive, but that are dangerous. And unfortunately, if it's a state-sponsored violence, the state's not going to, from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, the state's not going to report what actually happened in the correct way, but they're going to report the story from a view that is, you know, targeting a community and making them look like it's, it's blaming them when it's really that they're in these situations because they have to survive, so. I mean, that, that's exactly it. Um, I mean, I've, I've had uh, in the past few days, there's been a number of cases come to light in Guatemala, which is not a country we hear a lot about because the reporting from there is not particularly great. We hear a lot about places like uh, Brazil, Mexico, um, the US, you know, the big, the big countries where there's where there's a large community but but places like venezuela guatemala honduras you don't hear a lot about because they're that much more dangerous um yeah so a lot of what we do what i do anyway is trying to is basically trying to trying to dig into what little information there is find it pull it together and link it all so that we can build you know some sort of picture of of what happened and to who yeah and i want to lead into that as well and talk about website and that is how i found out about um the work that you do and you know i reached out to you on there so you sent me your articles i want to start back before like the origin story so you sent me your articles from the publication medium which tell the story of your compassionate monthly reports of the killings and suicides of trans people in the world that culminated into the idea to create a comprehensive website detailing this information on a routinely updated basis for people to view. From reading the origin story of the website, it was clear to me that you wanted to complement the reports coming from the Transgender Murder Monitoring Project and reports from Transgender Europe may be filling in some gaps. For listeners, these reports also detail demographic information regarding the deaths of trans people in Europe and other parts of the globe. So these are other reporting uh, data websites. And when you were thinking about creating this website and you were thinking about what issues that you wanted to address and what gaps you wanted to fill, what were those gaps and that you saw that other websites and organizations weren't addressing? Uh, so. This all came about because, and this is in my blog post, Remembering Our Dead Never Gets Any Easier, which is the first one I wrote, it's on Medium, and um, it it all came about because I got asked to help um, organise the 2017 vigil here in Bournemouth, and 
uh, through sort of a, a, a loose grouping of various community groups. We all came together the month before and me being the, the one to say, oh, I'll do this. I just had this idea that um, it would be, it, it would help people to connect with the lives of the victims if they could see a few pictures of who they were. Because um, on the, the main, the, the official TDOL list that comes out is just basically a table. It's a list of names, it's a list of, list of places, dates, and roughly what happened to them, maybe one or two lines at most. Um, doesn't usually, or it didn't until recently, contain any source links. So you had no context, that's all you had, those, those one or two lines, maybe a name, and, you know, roughly what happened. Um, it doesn't give you much of a picture. So I went, I went digging and basically I tried to find as much information as I could so that we could produce like an A4 sheet for each, for each, each person as like a memorial card and you just put a candle down on it and we'd laminate them and leave them on the ground and people could walk around and uh, pay their respects. And I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. It was the worst kind of trauma. I, I managed to find quite a bit of information. I um, started pushing it into Medium because that was the only place I, I had. I, I, I like writing. I don't do it very often, but I do like it. So I started trying to find a way to pull that information together so that other people could see it rather than that, just our little group in Bournemouth. So that's where the blog post came from. So for, for, for anyone listening to the podcast, I basically started writing a blog post uh, for each month, which just had a short list of bios and what, what information I'd been able to find about, about the victims that had happened. And I just updated those as, as I went along. But um, the idea, I always had in my mind, well, two things, two things really. Um, the first is that um, by the time I, we got actually to the, the, the day of remembrance itself, I was burnt out. I was traumatized. I was, I didn't want to do it again. Okay. But I also felt, you know, I've learned a little bit here. I, I've realized I can do this, but I can't do it like that. So I can cope with it if the volume is not too high, because it is traumatic. You do sometimes see things in, um, in especially in some of the Latin American press, that you don't want to see. You really don't want to see. And there are, I have pictures that haunt me even now. Um, and uh, so, okay, so instead of having to do all of that research, uh, in a very very short time, which was also disruptive because I had to take nearly a week off to do it. Um, uh, let's spread it out of the air and do it as an ongoing thing and collect as much information as we can. And then out of that natural, I did that the following year. It was a lot better. So this is just all manual searches with keywords in different languages. Um, and eventually, um, you know, that start planted the seed of okay, let's, we're now maintaining this data and it's all in Excel. How do we turn this into something all a bit more automated? And that's where the idea for the website came out. So that 
happen very quickly actually and it's just gradually developed um, I, I took it I had a very rough you know proof of concept and I took it to uh, Transcode which is a hackathon happens in the U in the UK and Ireland by trans by trans people for trans people so we go along you get a group you get uh, little teams of people all who work on community projects some of which will you know develop a life of their own and some of which will just turn out to be a one-day thing that's also fine you know um, but it's it's also a great way for people to to meet e to meet others in the community and build bonds and so I took that along there and everybody just wanted it to be out there so I I just used that 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 was encouraging and it helped me to get ideas and, and to and to build it up on from there wow um, wow yeah and you know I think it's like it's a really interesting growth because it seems like at first it was something that you were doing but then you sort of took it to other people in the community it sounds like started to show it um for them to to see is anyone is anyone helping you with the day-to-day -day running of the website or is it just you on the on on the admin of the site there's just me so i do most of the current cases um i do have a co-editor who's based in the u.s and uh and they work on the uh on u.s cases primarily um but all of the la most of most of the, i'll be honest most of the cases that we have to deal with are in Latin America. So my, I, I, I basically track all the data, all the new data coming in, and then make notes. So I've got a wiki that I publish. It goes, it's on GitHub, and anybody can put a pull request into it. And then all of the raw data gets dumped in there. And then it's a case of finding the time to write up, post after post after post. And I just do that when I can. And, and publish things and, and my co-editor does the same thing so really there's two of us I do but I do most of it and I also wrote wrote all the, the code behind the site and I administer the database and pay for the hosting and sort that all of that out um, in fact I just use my I just use my own web host um, because it's got enough it's not so even though the website itself is mostly me and my co-editor um, we're not the only ones involved in this because there is um, a whole community of, of people who are um, not just collecting data but also working with victims' families, um, doing cold case research, you know, all of the, the stuff that I'm not good at. I'm good at the data mining and organizing bit, I've got that sort of brain, but, um, you know, I have. I, I have uh, I, I call them friends now, even though we've never met face to face, because we we've worked so much together. Who 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 are involved with say with like cold case research or with um, or with working with families and and you know and trying to uh, bring stories out that way. Um, and there are so and obviously there are the 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 local groups which who are incredibly important especially in the communities where in in the areas where there is a lot of violence a lot of uh, poverty a lot of deprivation 
uh, or, or, or you know places where employment discrimination is rife. We see um, if you go to places um, uh, if you go to Latin America, the groups over there do an incredible job, and they don't get enough thanks from anybody for what for what they do. They are on the front line, and you know, and um, they can't do the sort of thing that I'm doing, but they but they do it anyway. They don't have the luxury of being safe, but they try. They do it anyway. They shine a light. They campaign. And they're out on the on the street on the streets that are way more dangerous than I am, and I'm I'm like I'm humbled, I really am. So it's 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 for them as well. I was going to say there is also um, I would say there's also like little community groups out there. So there's a there are several um, Facebook groups, for example, where people are sharing information. Like I, I'm a an admin of a group called Trans Violence News, which I inherited from from Mika um, who sadly passed away now um, and um, yeah so I get a lot of help from them and um, again we share lots we share information and they you know it all hopefully comes together into something which is um, meaningful and as accurate as it reasonably can be yeah yeah that's really, really, really great information to understand how it works and also to know how it's being maintained. And it, again, going back to having the community to rely on to make sure that things are recorded where it's happening and you're today on, you know, what you need to know. That's really good. So it's being maintained well. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how I found the website. So I was going to Mexico and I was a trans person like, going to a foreign country and i was like what can i view that is you know helpful for me to know like if i'm maybe going to be safe in an area or maybe this area might be unsafe and so the reason why i have to do that is because when i go to my state website and i'm speaking from like a now a state government perspective when i go to like the state us gov website and i'm looking at protections for me as an lgbtq person they may have some information that says what's happening with laws or what's happening with violence against lgbtq people but i don't get that data that's specific enough that says oh we have a trans person of this age in this area you know who um has been killed unfortunately and you know it's it's helpful for some people maybe to go to a website like this to say okay, let me understand what's going on with my community because not only can that impact me, but that might be also impacting the, my loved ones. And this is maybe something I need to be aware of. So just the underreporting that you might see from the um, large government or even like local and regional government side of the deaths of trans people can can justify why a web, why we need a website like this. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I, I do see I do see patterns in the data. Um, like I I see um, parts of, for example, certain states in Mexico, for example, I know are more dangerous than others. Part partly as a result of the cases I've seen, and partly by by reading what activists in those areas are saying, you know, in community groups. 
um, and and that's true everywhere. You know, I know. You know, if we go to, if we come, if even if we come back, you know, come out of the trans community and into the the wider into wider society. You know, I know there are parts of of, of London, for example, that are less safe than others. Um, and it's it's kind of the same thing, but on a worldwide scale. But again, I would come back to the the fact that the the data only tells you so much. It will only tell you what we know. It can't tell you what we don't know. What isn't reported. So it won't tell necessarily tell you. You know, don't go to, you know, Dubai or Saudi Arabia. You have to work that out for yourself. You can't do it from our data. You have to look at the wider context of what's going on in the in the area um, to 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 understand. Um, but but it can give you an idea. It can give you an idea, and if if you're not looking at it for that, maybe you're looking at it because you want to know for any cisgender people listening, any people who aren't part of the trans community but are, you know, allies, you might want to know what's happening with your neighbors or what's happening in your state. And, you know, if we're talking about homicides and suicides of trans people as a public health problem, this is a great, I think, um, beginning of, of, of epidemiological data set, right? Because you're collecting the demographic information of the population that needs to be known. So it's a great beginning for that. But ultimately, when we're talking about making decisions for where you want to go, you have to sort that out and find the context. Yeah. I mean, demographics is, is such a big area. And I would say, I would say that I'm not, I don't feel qualified to, to collect much more than stories and ages and you know a, a little bit of background i don't i deliberately don't um label cases by gender you know i don't make i try not to make assumptions about the how how a victim identified although i will write based on the likely identification but i won't put a field i don't have a field in the database that says you know identifies as trans women as trans woman or as non-binary I will make a note of it if I know it sometimes if I think it's relevant especially for non-binary people because they are so often forgotten and likewise I'm I'm a I'm a 50 something um, white trans woman in, in the UK you know I am not qualified and nor should I even attempt to make a judgment about anything to do with race because I have privilege and um, for me to try to capture that data just would not be right that that should be something that comes down to the community groups on the ground and this is the sort of thing that um, transgender europe do capture because they are getting the data directly from the community groups and then we're trying to cross correlate it so i'm kind of coming in from one side the the story the background of the person um, and they're coming at it from the hard data that's trying to build the statistics you see groups like um Retrans Brazil and Gay Group of Bahia, who, who've, you know, over years have collected all of this data, and you get similar groups all the way across, across the world, who build demographic data on what's happening in their their region in their country, um, that and they'll break this stuff down by, by things like ethnicity, by age, by race, uh, sorry, by um, by gender or gender identity identification because obviously if you go to um if you go into latin american culture 
there is a there that that you you'll find a lot of trans people who will or trans women in particular who might identify as trans women that's fine you'll get others who will explicitly identify as travesty which is not something you will find that doesn't really have an equivalent in the english-speaking world because the the literal translation is to what we consider a fairly derogatory term these days um, so I don't use that, and I deliberately don't use that in the in the, in the website because it's English because it's written in English. If we were, if we were producing it in Spanish or Portuguese, I might have made that we'd probably make a different call and and try to preserve that information. But I don't have the resources to do that, or the skills. So yeah, so it's this stuff is complicated and it's many faceted, and there's a lot of sensitivity required. Um, at the end of the day each of us can just try to do our best and when we get it wrong which we inevitably will um, people will call us out on it when we do sometimes um, quite rightly um, all we can all we can do is our best and try to fix mistakes we make as we go along and community informed work is the work that I want to do as well in science and it's what you're doing and um, you know, your work with the website. So I really love the responses. I love that you're speaking on as well, like what we can get from the website, what you are comfortable reporting, and then what's, you know, maybe left up to the other people maybe to report. And, you know, me identifying as a black trans person, seeing, you know, the killings that do occur and understanding that BIPOC trans people are at a higher risk of, these killings and of homicides in particular but also um you know i haven't looked into suicides as much but um i do know from the homicide perspective yes like they are at a higher risk and understanding that you know that is maybe also an area for some people in the future to look into and start reporting on a lot as well if they're not already and um i would definitely want to do my research and look into you know um, what we can talk about that as well. So thank you for bringing awareness to um, that as well. And I wanted to say, so what fascinated me about the website is that you're doing the work that should be carried out by our governments, I feel. And, you know, there's entire registries that are dedicated to people with cancer, but we don't have similar ones in existence for trans people who've died. And the reason that I bring that up is because I was doing a project that was looking at reporting on the deaths of uh, trans people in the UK using the Clinical Practice Research Database. It's a public health database, if you've heard of it. And we were trying to identify people, and it's really difficult. Um, and even you're, you're saying like when you report on these, you know, deaths, you might hint that, you know, somebody identified a certain way, but usually you refrain, if that's my understanding. It, it can be difficult. And censuses in these countries, including in the U.S. and U.K., they do not track gender diverse identities. So we call it like SOGI information, sex, sexual orientation and gender identity. That information usually isn't collected in a robust way to represent um, several communities, including non-binary people. How do you see your work mitigating or intervening in health, the health disparities 
of suicide homicide risk. Do you think that it there is some use there for people to understand homicides and suicides as a public health problem and use that information to speak about it? But in what context would they might speak about it? Um, yeah, I mean, homicide is, is something we've been talking about for a long time, ever since uh, Gwendolyn Ann Smith started the, um, the Trans Day of Remembrance, or the, or the Remembering Our Dead project, as she called it. Um, and I think that's that's an ongoing conversation and um, all I can add to that is is the richness of information of about um, different cases so uh, for example there was an article published uh, oh when was it uh, yesterday in a uh, in a publication called Presente which is a Latin American LGBT organization news organization and, and they talked about two recent homicides that have taken place in Guatemala City so they give you the background of like the victim's full name there's their social name and you won't get that in the in necessarily the in the mainstream media you get their dead name if you're lucky and then you have to try and correlate that and work out how to present the the a part of that information which is um, factual, consistent, and sensitive to the victim and and and, their, and our community as a whole. Um, but one of these one of these reports um, basically tells you where the victim died. Her name was Valentina de Paz, and she's one of the names who will be on the list this year. Um, which streets? She it happened. Which street it happened on? The fact that um, the hit she was killed by a hitman who mistook her for another trans girl. You know that sort of level of detail, and that gives you enough information to start building the context. And she was a community leader, so her name is well known in in that area. Um, yeah, and and the other and the other victim um, in the same report that was talked about. Her name was Cleo, and. I've, they are the only news outlet who've given her full name. We didn't have anything but Cleo, but we now know her her, name, her full name was Cleo Quintara Hernandez. Um, and how, how old she was, where she was from, um, the fact that she'd been doing sex work for five years, through, probably through no choice of her own and that uh, she was found dead in her room on the 1st of September. So there's a level of some of that if, if on the on the, the little one line narrative that we normally get uh, uh, for a T-Doll list, we might get um, Cleo was found dead in her room with signs of violence and a date. And that's all we'll get. We won't get that little bit of extra, um, that little bit of extra context like uh, where, where she was from you know, or how long she'd been in that situation, and those those little bits of information are breadcrumbs. You can follow them, you can follow the trail. It's time consuming. It's difficult. Sometimes you hit hit, a, hit you find lots of information. Sometimes you find nothing. Um, but if you don't look, you won't find it. What I would also say specifically about suicide cases, because this is important. Um, <clears throat> The, the Remembering Our Dead project and the Trans Day of Remembrance in its official form does not track suicide victims. 
okay um, it only tracks homicides although occasionally when you look back at the, at the, at the lists over the years occasionally you'll get um, you will get um, unconfirmed homicides and sometimes you get victims on there who died in other causes because the death was suspicious at the time and that's 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 perfectly reasonable um, but suicides are much harder to track because they aren't generally reported in a lot of places um, certainly in the UK the only time you find out about a suicide case uh, is is only really in two circumstances one is um, you're, they're in your local community and you knew them directly or indirectly so word of mouth um, and, the, and the, oh, um, um, well actually three because the second one is somebody told you <laughs> you know somebody writes to you and tells you or sends you a message um, and the third one is when there's an inquest but um, a lot of cases in suicide cases you just don't hear about them so if the main TDOR list isn't remembering them um, you just have to tug on as many breadcrumbs and keep what and make as many notes as you can um, to try to give a picture so with the understanding that whatever you statistics you you can infer they are a massive underreport. I, you know, I guess we lo we probably lose several hundred trans people a year in the UK alone to suicide. We'll never hear about most of them, and it's it's desperately sad. But um, you know, and I have no evidence to base those numbers on. It's just a feeling. You know. Um, based on the very tiny numbers that I do see because I figure that you know it's probably an order of magnitude or two orders of magnitude worse than that I don't know um, one of the yeah but one of the the things that come out there's an intersection with what's going on in homicide cases so um, lack of access to employment uh, discrimination, familial family discrimination, um, you know, being in an unsafe environment, not having any hope. Um, one particular one that we see in the UK in particular is, um, which is mirrored in, in, other, in other nations, is lack of access to healthcare, timely access to healthcare. Although we nominally have um, free healthcare in the UK through the National Health Service. In practice, for for trans people, um, we are uh, pushed out to the edge. So they have this concept of primary care, which is your local doctor. They have secondary care, which is your local hospital, and then they have specialist tertiary care, which is you know specialist. And there's not many of them around the country. Virtually all of trans medicine has been pushed to tertiary care and there's not much of it and they have huge waiting lists so a lot of people are stuck on waiting lists and that causes hopelessness and then that can lead and you know all the bureaucracy involved with that can lead people to lose hope and that can mean that we unfortunately have another name um so and that's you know that okay that's very um that particular setup is very 
specific to what's happening in the UK right now, where virtually every trans person I know who's come out in recent years has transitioned and, you know, got a long way down their medical transition before a gender clinic has seen seen them because they're funding it themselves. And we don't have informed consent here, so you can't just go into a pharmacy. (laughs) You have to be a bit more... um, be a little bit more inventive. The problem is that you see so much data that uh, you see the patterns and it's quite because there are always new names and sometimes it, it's it's very easy to forget to to lose track of what happened to an individual even though you remember the name. You can't you forget which what year it happened in. You forget exactly what happened except that it was horrible. There are certain cases that will always stick in your mind and they're that it, it's a very personal thing you know what happened to Gwen Arugo I'll always remember because of when I learnt about her, what the way you know where I was in my life um, there was another um, a Brazilian trans girl called Ilka who was um, killed in 2017 and uh, her case left a very strong um, strong um, impression on me and um, yeah, and so there's, I've got a handful of cases like that that are always in my head, um, and and that's maybe as it should be. We should never distance ourselves so far from the horror that it just becomes abstract data, even if sometimes we have to do that just to cope with it all. But we should never stay there. We should always come back to remember that this is horror, and it should not be happening. But it is, and we should be angry about it. We should shout about it. We should draw attention to it. One of the um, one of the most um, humbling things that happened to me, or rather to our little community here in Bournemouth, was on that first that first Trans Day of Remembrance that we were. It wasn't the first one we'd ever run, but it was the first one that I'd been involved with. Um, we set up uh, all of these memorial cards in a public area called the Triangle, which is historically an LGBT area. It's right in front of the library, and it's a big amphitheatre kind of area. Um, and there's a Starbucks there, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff, some clubs and lots of little community restaurants and all, all sorts of stuff. It's a nice place. And uh, we, we'd set it up there. It was, it was a, November, a November evening. It was dark. It was cold, because this is the UK, and we do cold quite well. <laughs> um, and we, there's all these people standing there with candles and and people speaking and speaking into a microphone, reading out names, and and members of the public were just walking past, you know, not planning, not knowing anything was happening. And I remember one watching one woman, and she just, she was walking past, and she saw us, so she came over. And she looked, and then she spent some time, and then she prayed. And I thought, that is so powerful. That's what it's about. It's about bringing those stories to somebody who otherwise wouldn't have um, learned anything about them, not even known anything was happening. She probably didn't. She may may not even have known any trans people. I don't know her name. Um, probably never see her again. Doesn't matter. But it, that that really moved me, and that kind of, for me, is why I do this. 
in a, in a, in a, in a way, you know, it's, it's like a little story that kind of encapsulates, or a little anecdote that encapsulates it. Yeah, certainly, certainly. That, I just, I'm thinking about the image right now, it's like, making my eyes water. I'm like, wow, you know, um, just to show that humanity aspect, you know, that's another thing that I wanted to say was uh, a photo collage of people who had passed away in 22 on the website, 2022. And that was, to me, bringing a humanistic approach to viewing these unfortunate events that have, you know, happened. And I, I really, I really appreciate that that is also there because it's not just about the reports. It's also about, you know, knowing the images and what these, who these people are, you know, as you've described, we were talking about the A4 sized photo with the candle on top and really, um, really honorable descriptions. I wanted to really, um, thank you right now and just say, this is really a powerful conversation. Um, there's just so much that running through my mind and to, to speak to you about really the goal of the podcast, the podcast really is centered on bringing light to the work of individuals who are intervening and mitigating in health disparities, which is why I asked that question, because in my opinion, I think that this does shed light on what what traditionally, you know, we've known has happened, but we don't understand, you know, the magnitude of it. We don't understand how we can after understanding the magnitude of it, how we can intervene. And I think this is the beginning of understanding how we can, you know, when you're talking about ambulances not picking up people because of their gender identity, or you're talking about the long wait times for the gender identity clinics, um, you know, it's, um, that that's the context that we're talking about. We're talking about some of these unfortunate um, killings. So I wanted to end with a discussion about the future so you know you've been doing this for some time you've made an impact with the creation of the website you and also the you know co-editor and the people that you work with um and i've even seen it on reddit subthreads um to be uh, to be fair uh being discussed so what's next for um the website and your involvement in this area my my focus really is going to continue to be on um, on recording as much as I can. That's got to be my main focus because as soon as I stop, it piles up. Okay. Um, I get about, I triage about 200 articles a day. So I'm going to carry on doing that. I want to make, find ways to make that more efficient so I can do it quicker because, you know, you know, you start off doing like a web search here and making lots of notes and and then eventually you get a you get a structure for recording the notes, which is something that I you know led to wiki that ends up on GitHub and blah blah blah. So that's great. Um, long term, I'm kind of um, I'm I'm conscious that I'm just one person. If anything happens to me, this all stops. Okay. Um, so I've been trying to make sure that. All of the data I have is publicly available, um, so I push it onto GitHub. The address is um, GitHub.com/AnnaJane. That's with a Y, no hyphen, just one word. I'm conscious that I keep finding um, info on historic cases that are not reported. Okay, so I keep finding homicide cases that are not that were not on any of the TDAR lists in the past, 
I keep finding suicide cases that are obviously not on them as well. So I make notes on them, I put them in the research wiki, and then um, at some point somebody, you know, me or someone else can write up a patron. The problem I've got is that I spend virtually all of my time dealing with current cases. That means the historic cases are not getting a look in. Just for 22, I can find another 100 cases fairly easily from other causes because these are th these are cases that have been reported and you know they all have a story um you know you get you 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 see a report of a trans woman who's found in um in an abandoned house somewhere um and the um the inquest according to the inquest or the autopsy she died from an overdose. She probably won't be on the T-Doll list, but she is a victim of societal violence because she didn't have the opportunities to make what she would have liked to have done with her life. So she she ended up in a vulnerable place and, and um, lost her life as a result. You know, you get those cases. So there's, there's those stories as well. What I would say to everybody out there is if you feel that this is an area that you want to help with, if you feel you can, and I won't, I won't lie, it does take quite a bit of resilience and it, it can be traumatic, but it can be also be quite rewarding because you get to understand other cultures and you get to understand other people's lives. Then, you know, get in touch and we'll work something out because I can always do with more help. And I know, I know the other, um, and it doesn't have to be working on the direct stuff I do. There's always something that people can contribute. Thank you. Thank you for um, speaking on all that. And as you heard here, if this is something that you're interested in and you think you could share some expertise with, I think it'd be a great idea to um, reach out to Anna. So uh, if you want, I can even put your... Um, or I can put how to reach you, maybe through the website if you'd like. On the historic cases, this is happening, you know, it, this is, the, the reports and the killings are waiting to happen, but, you know, we have to keep our eyes and ears open. And, um, you know, when we see injustice, we have to want to speak on it because these are all, the, you said something powerful in that these all have a story and everyone who has um, been affected by this has a story. And that is, that's the part that when you read the report, you understand that person you know may, may have been going through at the time um just a little lens so thank you so much uh anything else you wanted to add no i think that's pretty much it um uh, just just as a data point though the earliest uh, i just looked it up the earliest case that i've got a record for in our wiki is 1888 21st of june 1888 and it was in chicago uh and it was and it was a suicide case so yeah so uh yeah and i've got three links to um to newspaper articles it was basically a a, a person who was assigned male at birth um discovered floating um off about two miles offshore wearing uh wearing a dress and with a stone tied to their ankles by a rope and it was thought to be a homicide and sometime later a suicide note was found. So if that isn't a 
trans murder a trans suicide victim. A good example because you can you can you can make an inference, and it, in this case, I think it's a very strong inference. That this person was pro probably in another in another time in another circumstances would have transitioned. And yeah, it's it's really sobering when you read these things. We'll never we'll never see we'll never know who they were. The story there's probably nothing about them in the historical record. Um yeah, it's really humbling. But yeah, let's say this uh researcher who's um been looking into historic cases, this is one of the ones that she found. And that's a story that has not been written up. Yeah, and more stories waiting to be written up for sure. This really adds an um, important historical perspective. And thank you so much. To honor the lives of people of transgender experience who we've lost, we'll take a moment of silence. Without empathy, we fail to understand each other. Lacking the most basic quality for another human being, respect for life, has resulted in the numerous homicides that we see transgender people, particularly those of a BIPOC or Black Indigenous people of color background, have encountered. Moreover, the numbers of suicides within the gender diverse community eliminate the delicate balance between pushing for a better life for oneself and the desire to stop living. We must stand with our trans brothers, sisters, and agender non-binary loved ones. The TGD community requires love, care, and humanity. We are not meant to live on our own, needs the support and activism from people such as yourself listening to stand with them. Anna's activism encourages us to speak up. We can speak up against the atrocious ways that people within the community are dying. We can raise awareness that these horrors should be considered a public health emergency that devastatingly causes inequities and mortality rates for transgender people. We can create a world where countries across the globe choose to protect the lives of transgender people rather than endanger them. Thank you for listening in. If you would like to visit the T-Door Lives Matter website, type in tdor.translivesmatter.info. You can also visit the Transgender Europe page at tgeu.org. As well, feel free to connect with Anna on Twitter or X at Anna Jane, all one word with a Y in Jane. They can also similarly be found on Mastodon and GitHub. Let's continue to push the conversation more on Instagram at Equity Podcast or on Twitter at Equity Pod. Take care and see you in the next episode.